It is April 26th. I am Levi Johnny Griffin, and this is Word Today. I had someone ask me the other day, how do I reconcile being in the military? Because as many of you know, I am in the Navy Reserves. I am a uh, happy, proud, I hate to use the word proud because the Bible says pride leads before the fall. So that's not the word I want to use there. But I, I have a certain esteem. Uh, for being in the military. I love uh, the country that God allowed me to be born in. That's America. I think we do a lot of great things around the world. I know I'm going to get a lot of criticism for that, but you you have to be happy with your government. The Bible tells you to be, um, you know, to follow your government uh, to some to some extent, basically be obedient to your government. Now, if you live in a tyrannical government, um, then you may want to move somewhere else or work to change the government, but I actually believe that America does a lot of great things. Nonetheless, uh, I'm happy to be an American. I hear I can worship Jesus openly uh, with no problems. And they say, well, that's all fine and dandy. But how do you reconcile being a Christian and being in the military? What I told them, my response might startle you. I'll tell you right after this. So what do you say to a question like that? What do you say? How do you answer someone when they say, how do you reconcile being a Christian and being uh, in the military? Even though I'm in the reserves, it's, it doesn't matter. How do you reconcile? Uh, and I, and I, I have no problem being active duty. I love uh, going active duty. Maybe at one day I will. Um, but they say, how do you reconcile being a Christian and being in the military. And my response was, name 10 people that led Israel, 10 people that you find awesome and powerful in the Bible that didn't lead an army, that, that, that weren't part of the military. So today we're going to, I just really, that question kind of struck me. So today I really want to dive deep. I really want to go into the misconception of who people think God is. Uh, I think a lot of people think God is light and fluffy uh, and he's there in heaven waiting with lollipops and bubblegum drops. Um, and I think the Bible where he shows himself strong is a little bit different. Let's start off. Let's get in the Bible. Let's 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 I don't want anyone to think I'm giving my opinion. And I try never to. I try to build a case on the Bible and the Bible alone, uh, line upon line, precept part upon part, precept upon precept. So we're going to start in Philippians 2 and 12. It says, my dear friends, and we're, we're going to, every scripture we're going to uh, read tonight is going to come out of the CEV, uh, so you don't have to worry about different Bible translations. Uh, maybe in the future I'll try to just use one uh, translation for every scripture I use uh, in a certain podcast. That way you guys don't have to bounce back and forth um, for those that are following along and taking notes. Uh, and want to make sure that I'm reading things accurately. Hopefully you are. Uh, I teach you and I teach everyone, never believe the voice box. Never believe the person on the radio or the person in the pulpit. That's why God says, hey, there are many that cry out, Lord, Lord. You you listen to the person in the pulpit, which is great, but that guy studies and he has a greater understanding than you if you're not studying. So maybe he says something, you mistake it and you live your life in a totally wrong way because you never took the time to fully understand what the scriptures meant 
or what he meant. You, he spent eight hours to deliver a 45-minute message to you, and all you got was 45 minutes. So uh, make sure you, you double-check. Do your fact-checkers, and I'm sure there's a bunch of fact-checkers out there. Like it. Subscribe. Email me. I tell you, email me, wordtoday.org at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. So Philippians 2.12. My dear friends, you always obeyed when I was with you. Okay. Now that I am away, you should obey even more. This is the New Testament. This is one of the Pauline epistles, right? So work with fear and trembling to discover what it really means to be saved. Work with fear and trembling. What it really means to be saved. It's saying, listen, work with fear and trembling. Now, I don't know about you now. I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of people afraid of a leaf. Now, in this, this, this world we live in today, I'm sure there are people that are afraid of leaves. There's probably some leafophobia, but I guarantee you that there are a lot more people afraid of a mighty rushing wind. And in Acts 2, uh, it says that, listen, suddenly there was a noise from heaven like a sound of a mighty wind. Uh, certain translations say a mighty rushing wind. There are more people afraid of hurricanes, I'm sure, than are afraid of leaves. Why is that? Because a hurricane has some power and commands a level of respect. And listen, Acts says that our the Holy Spirit is a mighty rushing wind. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That should give you an indicator right there that, listen, maybe God isn't one of, the, uh, one of these Powerpuff girls or one of these superheroes that smiles at everybody, that, that saves everybody, and no one ever gets injured. No one ever gets hurt. Uh, he just makes everybody works it out, high fives a bunch of people at the end, and then he's peace out. I'm sorry, but that is not the way the world works, people. It would be nice if he did, but the, the problem with that is he would have to manipulate your will. You would no longer have, a, have free will. You would no longer be able to reject him. That goes to the saying I heard in a Lecrae record, um, and I thought back when Lecrae was doing a lot of he was, you know, Christian hip hop. And now I'm not dissing Lecrae, but he's no longer Christian hip hop. I think he admits that in several art, uh, articles. He's just kind of hip hop now. Um, but back when he's Christian hip hop, I really loved him. And he, and he has that in one of his records. And he says, um, you know, everyone wants God to just end all of the evil in the world. Well, if God ended all the evil in the world, he'd have to end everyone in the world. If Because if, all of us have thought an evil thought. Someone cut you off in traffic and you thought something that was evil that wasn't Christian. Like, man, I just wish I would. God would just let his car explode. You know, <laughs> you know, you had a teacher you didn't like or ex-girlfriend, ex-barfriend. You wish would have gotten hit by a bus. So then you say, well, OK, God, don't destroy all the evil in the world. Um, leave the people that just think bad things. You know, you can't really control your mind anyway. Just leave those. Well, in that case, a lot of us have said bad things. You know, we've said things that weren't on point. We've said things that weren't great. So then that means that we get destroyed. For a prideful tongue or and then you say, OK, well, don't don't end all the evil that I, I mean, where does it end? Where where does it end? So so the the point is, God, there has to be justice. Everybody can't get off. You need a judge, a righteous God that can decide, hey, this is punishable and this is not. Because if if heaven was exactly like the world, then it wouldn't be heaven. If you had rape in heaven, you had murder in heaven. If there was no judgment, then it's not really heaven. Who wants to die and go to another place just as jacked up as the place we're leaving? Let's go to Exodus. This is the longest verse I'm going to read you. I want you to bear with me. It's a lot here, but I think it's important that we really get this. This is an important topic. 
Um, and I'm, and it wasn't the first time I've been asked that. I've been I've heard that and been asked that over and over and over. I've had to discuss it. Um, I think this is the most I've discussed it in length. But there's been insinuations. Um, I dated a girl once that said, you know, you're in the military, and it was it was it's hard to reconcile because you see the military is this evil uh, force for destruction. And let's see how the Lord looks at the military. Exodus 14. The king got his war chariot and army ready. This is the Pharaoh that was enslaving the Egyptians. He commanded his officers in charge of his 600 best chariots and all his other chariots to start after the Israelites. That's verse six. We're going to kind of bounce around and shorten it a little bit. Verse 10. Uh, when the Israelites saw the king coming with his army, they were frightened and begged the Lord for help. Verse 11. They also complained to Moses. Be part of 11. Is this, is, is that why you brought us out here to die in the desert? So listen, 10 there is saying, Lord, save us. They're begging, Lord, please save us. The army is marching to kill us. And then they turn around and look at Moses saying, hey, man, this is why you brought us out of Egypt. You brought us in the desert just to die by the chariots and die by the Pharaoh's hand. That's why you brought us out. Lord, please save us. We believe you can do anything. Then they turn to the man of God. Look, what's going on, brother? You know, uh, but that, isn't that that's our heart where we get scared, right? We, we get confused. You know, we hope to have the faith to be able to be strong, but we see a lot of ourselves in these Israelites, 13. But Moses answered, don't be afraid, be brave, and you will see the Lord save you today. The Egyptians will not bother, will never bother you again. The Lord will fight for you and you won't have you won't have to do a thing. The Lord will be on your side is what he's saying. He's going to fight this battle. I know we're trapped between the Red Sea, basically a body of water, an ocean with no boats. We're trapped between the ocean and 600 of Pharaoh's best chariots trying to kill us. But he's saying, listen, you're going to see the Lord show up today. 15. All this time, God's angels had gone ahead of Israel's army. Excuse me. All this time, God's angel had gone ahead of Israel's army, but now he moved behind them. The reason I wanted to correct that, uh, obviously I wanted to correct it because I said angels instead of angel, but I wanted to also emphasize it. All this time, God's angel, singular, had gone ahead of Israel's army. He was leading them, but now he moved behind them. Why did he move behind them? He wanted to strategically place himself between the Israelites and the Pharaoh's army. The Lord told Moses, stretch your arm toward the sea. The water will cover the Egyptians and their cavalry and chariots. Moses stretched out his arm, and at daybreak, the water rushed toward the Egyptians. They tried to run away, but the Lord drowned them in the sea. Doesn't sound like a cotton candy power puff. Hold everybody's hand, God, right there, does it? The water came and covered the chariots, the cavalry, the whole Egyptian army that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them was left alive, but the sea had made a wall of water on each side of Israelite of the Israelites. So they walked through on dry land. 30. On that day, when the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the shore, they knew that the Lord had saved them because of the mighty power he had used against the Egyptians. The Israelites worshipped him and trust him and his servant Moses. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to say that your God is strong. Your God is a mighty warrior. He is not soft. If, if you worship the soft God, how would you pray for him to help you? If you worship the soft, weak, un, uh, uh, you know, unassuming God, 
when someone was attacking you, when you had your personal 600 chariots coming at you, trying to kill you, trying to destroy your family, demons are trying to attack your mind and your household. If you had a soft powder puff God, what makes you think that, uh, who would pray to him? What would make you think that he would intervene to save you or that he could save you if he was so soft? Our God is a mighty warrior. He is a strong tower. He is justice. He is righteous and he is holy. He is powerful. That's Exodus 14. When you go to Exodus 23, it goes further and says this. If you faithfully obey me, if you're mine, I will be a fierce enemy of your enemies. If you go to the King James version, like mom and dad, it says I will be an adversary to your adversaries. That means the people that come at you to destroy you realize I am a mighty warrior. I will be their enemy. I will be an enemy to your enemy. I will be a hater to those that hate you. God isn't soft. So I'm going to say, okay, that's Exodus 14 and 23. Let's get into the New Testament. Okay, fine. Matthew 21. Let's go to Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus went into the temple and chased out everyone who was selling or buying. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of the ones who were selling doves. He told them, the scriptures say my house should be called a place of worship, but you have turned it into a place where robbers Hi, this is Jesus walking into the temple, which is basically the church, seeing people not selling uh, things they should be selling, but selling doves and selling. They basically turn the, the, the church into a flea market. And you say, well, aren't you supposed to uh, sacrifice doves? Aren't you supposed to sacrifice goats? You're supposed to sacrifice your doves, your best doves, your best goats. You're supposed to catch uh, birds if you don't have uh, animals to sacrifice of your own. This is supposed to be a process where you go look over every dove you have, every lamb you have, every goat you have looking for, because your sacrifice can't have spot or wrinkle, the Bible says. So you check out, you may spend hours, two hours looking at this one lamb and at the bottom of his hoof, you see a, a blemish, an imperfection. So you push it aside and then you go to the next lamb and you're just checking it out and you're looking over it. No, that's not good enough. And if you have 15 lambs or 50 lambs, you look over them and you're praying, you're asking God's forgiveness and you're, you, you find that perfect lamb and you bring it to the church and you have it, you have it sacrificed to God. You're not supposed to be able to walk up in that joint and say, here's 20 bucks. Give me what you got. Hopefully that'll do. This was blasphemy in a way. Jesus saw it and turned over the tables. But see that Matthew 21 uh, doesn't go, go into the detail or show the, the passion that Jesus had, not like John 2. In John 2, starting at verse 13, it says this, not long before the Jewish festival of Passover, it goes into a little more detail, same story, but a little more detail. So not long before the Jewish festival of Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. There he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves in the temple. He also saw money changers sitting at their tables. So he took up, he took some rope and made a whip, a whip, W-H-I-P, Whiskey Hotel India Papa, a whip. Then he chased everyone out of the temple together with their sheep and cattle. Get your counterfeit stuff out of here. He turned over the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. Jesus said to the people who had been selling doves, get those doves out of here. Don't make my father's house a marketplace. The disciples then remembered that the scriptures say, my love for your house 
burns in me like a fire. Then you see the standard that God holds his people to. Does the scriptures burn in you like a fire? Does the Do the things of God burn in you like a fire? This isn't a message to condemn you. This is a message to say, hey, let it be a fire within you that don't that doesn't stand for political correctness. It was not politically correct for Jesus to go in there, make a whip, start beating people and kicking them out of there. But he says, I don't care about what's politically correct. I care about what's righteously correct. And I won't stand for this. We need some more Christians that say, I won't stand for this. You're not taking prayer out of my school. You're not going to take the Ten Commandments down out of the courthouse. I'm not going to say that gay marriage is okay. I'm not going to say sex changes are okay. You saying God made a mistake in the way that he made you? I know there's some medical cases there are where you were born with double genitalia. That's an example. That's an exemption. But if you were born a boy, be a boy. If you were born a girl, be a girl. If you have desires toward the opposite sex, that's no different than someone having a desire to smoke uh, crack, a desire to commit adultery, a desire for fornication, a desire for lying. A sin is a sin. It's okay. I can tell you a sin is a sin. When you tell a smoker smoking is bad, he doesn't go, no, smoking is good. But why when we stand up for something like, hey, heterosexuality is good, and they say, no, no, you can't say that. Yes, I can, because I care more about being righteously correct than politically correct. And you can't shut me up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you can kill me, but you can't shut me up. As long as I'm breathing, I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus was not soft. The Holy Spirit is described as a mighty rushing wind. And your God, my God, our God, Jehovah God says he's a strong tower, a banner, an adversary to your adversary, an enemy to your enemies. There's no part of him that was soft. And if you look back every, uh, I won't say every, but I don't think you can name 10 leaders that were in the Bible that led Israelites that weren't in command of the armies. King David. I just have a note. I don't even have a scripture by King David. I think we all of us know the story of David and Goliath. He started his career off as a shepherd boy, but made his his gain to the royal household when he chopped off the enemy leader's head. He chopped off Goliath's head and took his sword. At that point, he began to began to be respected as a military leader. Saul, the very first king of Israel, was the head of the military. The prophets before then spoke on behalf of God and also commanded the military. And you say, okay, well, what about Jesus? Jesus didn't command the military. Jesus is the military. He doesn't need to command the military. When he comes back, he's setting things in order. He's coming riding on a horse and demons and devils are going to fear it, have fear and trembling, just like every one of us to have to work out our salvation. Remember in Exodus, it says a single angel, an angel caused the entire destruction of 600 chariots, not angels and angel. If one angel is that powerful, what do you think Jesus is? What do you think God is? There's nothing soft about them. The Israelite leaders, the the Israelite army stood up for the things of God and people that didn't like it were destroyed. Not everybody is going to want to play nice and patty cake. We see that in the Middle East. They're strapping bombs to their babies and blowing them up, bombs to their wives, blowing them up, bombs to themselves, blowing them up, killing their own people. You can't talk to them. You can't reason with them. I know in, a, in you know society, we think we can patty cake everyone, but there are some people that will not change. There are some people that, will, that are hell bent on destruction, and those people will be judged. 
God is not soft. You, if you decide to walk away from God or if you decide, hey, I'm a Christian in name only, I'm not going to live like a Christian. I'm not going to fight and resist sin. If, you have, if you're struggling with sin, we all do. I struggle with sin. There's some love that there's no one on the planet that doesn't struggle with sin because the minute you stop stealing, you're going to have to battle your next demon, which may be lying. The minute you stop lying, you may have to uh, battle your next demon, which would be a prideful heart or a prideful tongue. There's always another level to go to. So there's always some sin to conquer. Go back and listen to that podcast about conquering sin. But if you're, you're not, you don't have a mind made up to conquer sin and try to get closer to Jesus, you may be one of the people standing on the outside of the gates that Jesus is saying, hey, man, I don't know you. And those people are saying, hey, but we went to church and we prayed and we did all these things. And Jesus is going to say, hey, man, I don't know you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. The old King James, I think, says you workers of iniquity. There's no part of God that is soft. That's why a lot of people have problems coming to Christianity. They think we worship this power puff cotton God that just loves everybody. That's why there's uh, uh, there's what America is majority like 70, 80 percent Christian but you only see what maybe 20, 30, 40% living like it. The other 30%, 40%, they just kind of feel like God loves me. He forgives me. He accepts me the way I am. God knows my heart. I can't tell you how many times as a kid I heard that them saying, hey, well, you know what? I don't live right, but God knows my heart. What did Jesus say about your heart? He says, hey, it doesn't matter what you eat or drink. It's the craziness that comes out of your heart that's going to send you to hell. I know your heart is vile and wicked. What needs to happen is you need to change your actions. Pray to me and let me change your heart. There's no part of God that is soft. He is righteous. And how can a righteous God, how could he call himself righteous if he wasn't willing to punish the wicked? If that was, if you had someone uh, hurt someone in your family and they went to court and you, you had to live with the pain and agony of what they did to your loved one and the judge says, okay, no, you're fine. Go, go home. You're all right. You'd be furious. You'd feel like, no justice was done. So why do you hold the earthly man who's a judge to a higher standard than you hold God? God isn't here to be your friend. He's here to be your God. There is a difference. See you next time. Listen, I really appreciate you checking out today's podcast. Make sure to find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Levi Johnny Griffin. Hit me up on Twitter at Levi underscore Griffin. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast Platforms, Google Podcast Platforms, and Stitcher. Also, place a link to this podcast in your social media feed and tag me in it, Levi Johnny Griffin, for a chance to co-host a show with me. Hey, I want to leave you with this. Four evidences of Christian faith. One is belief. We believe in what Jesus did on the cross. It's what covers us and gives us access to the glory of God. B, lifestyle. It just means we live like we believe it. Jesus tells us to live right, we live right. C, we evangelize. What does that mean? We teach other people about Jesus so they can have faith. Indeed, we spread the lifestyle. We teach them how to live like they have faith. How do we do that? We connect them to a church and we connect them to plenty of Christian material, Bibles, Christian books, Christian movies like The Passion and even Christian podcasts like Word Today. Share it with your friends. If it's blessing you and you're eating and growing from it, let someone else eat and grow from it as well. I love each and every one of you. Let's keep praying and keep pushing in the faith together.